Welcome from me, John Strickland, to Our Future Skies in partnership with AIG. In this podcast series, I'm talking with leaders across the airline industry, tapping into our diversity of views on where it might be headed in the next 10 to 20 years. We do this as the industry is making a strong recovery from the COVID pandemic pretty well worldwide, but there are some challenging after effects, for example, supply chain headaches, manpower, technical problems of aircraft, which it's still grappling with. And by its nature as a global industry, it always faces a number of external factors which can destabilize it. Sadly, they include currently a number of geopolitical and military conflicts and global economic turbulence. It's also true to say there are many different approaches to running an airline and local conditions as well as global can be important factors in that context. So today we're going to learn about the future vision of the national airline of one of Africa's most dynamic countries. The country is Rwanda and it has been called the Singapore of Africa. The country's airline Rwanda has been following a careful growth path and since 2018 has been led by today's guest, Yvonne Makolo. Recently, she also took on the role of chairman of the Board of Governors of airline trade body, IATA. Welcome to Our Future Skies, Yvonne. I'm delighted to have you as my guest today. Thank you, John. Let's start off, Yvonne, by asking you a couple of personal questions. Tell us a bit about yourself, because uh, many listeners may not know about your background, your your education and early career was uh, not in in aviation, but in in the uh, business of IT and software. (laughs) And you you spent a good part of your career outside of Rwanda as well, I think in Canada. Yes. uh, Well, I I have a very... um... How can I say that diversified <laughs> life? I I grew up in uh, I grew up in Kenya and then uh, lived in Canada for almost ten years. I studied uh, environmental science and geography. Then did a postgrad in information technology, and worked in the telecom industry for over eleven years. And then found myself in aviation, <laughs> and I've been here for the last uh, almost seven years now. Well, really interesting background there, Yvonne, and something I want to come back to because I think we'll have some questions where that experience is going to be really uh, useful for our discussion. Tell us also a bit about the airline. I mean, Rwanda is a successful uh, African carrier, but again, not all of the audience may be familiar with your, your operation and the scale and the destinations you fly to. So tell us a bit, of, if you would, about some of the key metrics of the airline that listeners should know about. Well, uh, Rwanda is the national carrier for the country of Rwanda. Uh, we've been in operation since uh, really t- 2009, and we've been growing progressively, pretty much in parallel with how the country has been de- developing. Uh, the airline is a key economic pillar for the development of, of, of Rwanda. Rwanda is a, right in the heart of, of Africa. It's a landlocked country, so aviation plays a very significant role in terms of connecting the country for business, for tourism. So uh, there's a lot of focus on, on, on Rwanda as the national carrier. We, we have a fleet of 14 aircrafts. Uh, we operate to 25 uh, destinations now directly, but we, our network is much wider than that through our uh, extended code share with the Qatar uh, Airways specifically and other airlines as well. The majority of our routes are within the African continent, but we also fly to London, Paris, which we launched recently, Brussels, uh, Dubai, Doha, and Mumbai. Yeah, quite impressive credentials there, Yvonne, and we'll we'll look at uh, how that may uh, develop in the years ahead. 
just looking a bit more widely at the context in which you're operating and thinking of Africa as a continent and Rwanda as a country, I, I noted in, in terms of my uh, background preparation for today's discussion that the World Bank talks about Rwanda as a, a aspiring to becoming a middle-income country status by 2035 and a high-income country status by 2050. And you have a number of uh, national strategic plans for transformation to assist in that. So as I mentioned earlier, the tag of being the Singapore of Africa, combine that with African characteristics of uh, a young and energized population, uh, big distances. What does all that mean in terms of your likely evolution of, of customer base for the future? What kind of customers do you, do you expect to be flying in the years ahead, Yvonne? Let me start with uh, with Rwanda. Rwanda has uh, the statistics you've said very very correct. Uh, Rwanda has been growing at um, the GDP uh, growth rate has been a steady seven eight percent uh, year on year. So it's been growing pretty fast. Coming out of the the, the genocide of nineteen ninety four, um, we've seen the country uh, growing into a real. Uh, a powerhouse within the African continent. Um, so, as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, Rwanda is, is is key to this development of, of the country. The the government uh, recognized very early the importance of having a strong national carrier uh, to support the development of the country, uh, whether through exports, uh, uh, business, uh, tourism, uh, and um, the aspiration of the country is really to be a service economy. And in order to do that, uh, we need access to the country. Just to give you an example, Rwanda currently is uh, a, a number two in terms of conference tourism within the African continent, right, right after Cape Town. This has been uh, as a result of the good policies that have been put in place by the government, but also the accessibility of, of the country and the, the national airline plays a big role in, in this. Now, if, uh, in the wider African uh, context, Africa with 54 countries is, is really vastly underserved. We're talking about 54 countries with a population of about 1.4 billion, but uh, a share of global traffic of about 3%. So <laughs> this this really doesn't add up, but that presents a good opportunity for aviation, which is what Rwanda seeks to, to tap into. Really how we can connect African countries to each other and then uh, connecting the African con continent beyond beyond Africa. So that's our mission. That's what we're, we're, we're driving towards. And uh, we're, we're very optimistic about the future. Well, that's all, all very positive, Yvonne. Uh, if we put that in the context of uh, the continent as a whole, as you said, the statistics speak for themselves, you know, the vast population, but a disproportionately low share of air traffic, uh, both connecting Africa to other parts of the world, but Perhaps surprising to to some, you know, within the continent itself, uh, which you would think with the big distances needs to be connected. But uh, as someone who is less familiar, I admit to being less familiar with all the, the, the different uh, characteristics of different African markets. Certainly, my impression is that for many governments and political leaders, there is a misunderstanding uh, about aviation, but it, there's still in many quarters a belief that you know, aviation is for the elite. It's a, an industry that should be taxed, uh, maybe even manipulated by by some for more for personal interest or, or belief than for real benefit. So it, it would seem from what you've said so far, you, your relationship with your own government is a very positive one. We, we've talked about the visionary approach of Rwanda to broad economic development. But do you feel hopeful that that ethos can widen 
to Africa as a whole. And we do see other areas of, of positive development. We've seen Ethiopian Airlines, for example, very successful. But yourselves and, and uh, Ethiopian are maybe not typical uh, of the continent. Well, uh, you, you are right. From a Rwandan context, as I said, the, the government uh, recognized very early on the importance of aviation. And a lot of effort has been put in terms mm -hmm. of having a sustainable airline not only uh, supporting the airline, but also putting policies in place that make it easier uh, for, for us to operate here. Well, whether it's uh, the visa policy, uh, Rwanda has uh, since 2018 uh, visa on arrival for citizens of all countries in the world, which makes Rwanda very, very ac accessible. You don't have the same in a lot of other African countries. There's a lot of investment in, uh, in infrastructure as well which is very important, a lot of investment in terms of training for pilots and engineers uh, to support the, the, the airline, which is, which is fantastic. But as you said, uh, for a lot of African countries, aviation is still seen as a, as a luxury, not, not as an economic enabler, as a necessity for, for our, our citizens. So there's underinvestment in infrastructure, there's heavy taxation, uh, making uh, air tickets extremely expensive which also restricts the number of uh, passengers that uh, uh, airlines can actually carry. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful that uh, th this mentality will also start changing, especially given uh, what we've just talked about in terms of the opportunities within the, the African continent, having such a young population who will need to travel. We will need to trade with each other. We've just implemented the um, African continental free trade area. And for that to be successful, there has to be uh, easy movement of people and goods between countries. So uh, the, the, it's strong on the agenda for the African Union. And we're hoping that um, that way of thinking that uh, aviation is a luxury and, 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 and not a necessity is gradually going to change. Uh, there's also the challenge of open skies within the African continent, which uh, with a single African air transport market, we now have about 37 countries who have signed on to it out of the 54 African countries. Uh, but uh, the implementation is extremely, extremely slow. And in order to really tap into this potential of aviation within the continent, we need to fully implement uh, the open skies within the African continent to allow airlines to quickly uh, ramp up their operations, easily move from uh, one destination to another and quickly open routes, uh, not rely on very restrictive buses. I mean, maybe we're at a key point in time, Yvonne, especially thinking not only of your work as a CEO of Rwanda and the example of Rwanda as a country, but now you you have this uh, chairmanship of the, the IATA Board of Governors, and obviously that's a global body, and there are many examples around the world of where liberalization has happened and open skies has uh, come into practice, and it's been nothing but beneficial for consumers and for countries. But if we look back at Africa, there's been many moments of optimism in the past, going right back to 1999 with the... Uh, Yamasukru decision when countries got together and signed up this agreement, uh, 44 countries to liberalize African skies. There was further ratification by uh, 2018 with the launch of a single African air transport market, which was meant to implement this decision from 20 years earlier. But as you said, it's been going at a creakingly slow process. A lot of countries have signed up to these intentions that Rwanda, of course, is, is one. What do you think personally can give this push to, to get there so we see some real tangible opening of the gates and step step forward now? 
my thought is if we wait for everybody to be a signatory and even the ones who signed on to it are not fully implementing it right <laughs> another challenge uh but um i i think the best way forward is the ones who are ready and uh, willing to implement we start with those and which is mm-hmm. what is right now the coalition of the willing so to speak so we start with the ones who are ready and uh, fully implement it and uh, it's my belief that uh, if other countries see the benefits and uh, the impact of the full implementation of satum uh, then they'll jump onto it but if we wait for everybody to come on board we'll be waiting for another 20 years or, or, or more but we, we just need to get started we've been talking about this over and over again not even from uh, yamasukro decision from the yamasukro declaration i don't know how many years ago so mm-hmm. we, it's at every conference we're talking about it and as you said we have uh, perfectly good examples elsewhere where liberalization has has really taken off and we've seen the impact of that so the, it's not about reinventing the wheel we can see and everybody understands uh, the benefit of this so we just need to get started i mean maybe maybe there's a need to get some of these politicians out of their own countries get them traveling around on a few uh, familiarization visits around the world and see for themselves what's actually <laughs> happening that's another option <laughs> Now, a, a, a criticism that's taken place. I mean, we, we, we'll return to the point about you know further development within Africa, but we've seen airlines come in from outside uh, and and in some ways generate uh, some good connectivity to parts of the world through their own services. But viewed through maybe localized, they're taking a piece of a pie which should be flown by African airlines, and we see the Gulf carriers in particular being criticised in that respect. They've opened up many gateways uh, in Africa that uh, otherwise would not be served. Now, far from criticism, you you already alluded earlier, Yvonne, you're working in partnership with one of these big Gulf carriers, Qatar Airways. Tell us a bit about what that means. You mentioned already it gives you more connectivity, and and then secondly, tell me, do you think that's more all the way of the future looking for to have an open-minded approach to work with partners to uh, again help uh, the development of, of African aviation with local carriers I definitely believe that's that's the way to go. Airlines are, are businesses. If they see an opportunity, they'll definitely go for that opportunity. And if uh, we we we're, we're not uh, serving the African continent the way it should be served, somebody else will come and do it. And I I I believe the best way would be through partnerships uh, whether with African airlines but also with international other international airlines. Our relationship with Qatar Airways, we're working towards uh, a, a joint venture airline. Uh, they're taking on uh, 49% of, of, of Ronda Air. But before that is concluded, we've been working together um, for, on, on the commercial side. As I mentioned, the extended code share, which gives us access to about 65 points uh, of, of their network, and they have access to our network as well. We have an earn and burn with our loyalty programs as well. Uh, so we've been, uh, and we can see the benefits of that um, uh, uh, right now. Uh, so we're, we're very, very excited about the partnership. Uh, we're looking forward to 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 have them uh, on board as shareholders. holders of 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 the airline and we believe that will strengthen uh, Rwanda and will uh, really uh, position Rwanda as a as a significant um, hub within the region they've also taken uh, 60% of the new airport that's being built um, a, a bigger capacity airport so together with the strong airline and uh, state of the art airport uh, we believe the future of aviation in Rwanda is looking very bright and in in the context of that positive partnership uh, uh, just made me think another thing we don't see so much uh, in africa and uh, as perhaps 
evolved more in parts of the world such as uh, the US and, and Europe is, is privately run airlines. Could could you imagine at some point in the future that Rwanda would become a, a private airline and maybe a you know publicly quoted company? Uh, anything is uh, anything is possible. I think at this point, uh, as we're growing, uh, the the government still needs to to be involved in it. But once it gains momentum and it becomes um, a, a strong entity, uh, why not? Why not? And we'd see more uh, privately run airlines uh, once we uh, relax some of the barriers that make it very difficult for for airlines to operate within the continent and to to remain sustainable within the continent. And I, and I think, I mean, personally, I, I don't think uh, ownership you know, makes a difference in terms of, or doesn't necessarily make a difference in terms of the airline's ability to perform well, because uh, again, we look at the, the, the Gulf carriers, they're extremely efficient airlines, they work well for their countries, you're working well for Rwanda, Ethiopian, the same can be said for them, it's really a case of good management and probably a good political business relationship it's only when these things become challenging and uh, i've never seen a politician anywhere in the world who knows better about running an airline than vla management but when there's a constructive relationship i think that's not uh, a showstopper about the actual ownership absolutely i i, I agree with you uh, it's it's a matter of uh, as you said it's a it's a matter of uh, the management and the support from the government and how the government is is providing a conducive environment for for business to run Yvonne, we've talked about the fact that you hold the post of uh, chairman of a board of governors uh, in IATA, but we also see IATA now uh, adopting what it calls a Focus Africa initiative. That that must be perfect timing from your point of view. And what's uh, your feeling, your sentiment about IATA getting more actively involved in African issues specifically? I think it's about time. Um, I, I'm, I'm very excited that IATA is putting a focus on Africa. Uh, as we, we discussed, uh, the potential for this continent is, is, is immense. If we neglect it, then what? <laughs> this is the future market for a, a lot of airlines, uh, including our, our own. So we, we, do, we do need to look at it uh, holistically in terms of how we can support African airlines, what can be done in terms of remo- removing the barriers that hinder the growth of the sector within the, within the African continent. So it, it is exciting and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy uh, to be chairing the board at a time when IATA is actually focusing on, on the African continent as well and supporting African airlines in achieving their goals. Exactly. Just looking at the technical aspects of, uh, of running your business from the point of view of aircraft fleet, uh, Yvonne, you've got a very modern fleet, but there's a lot of new technology coming through now with uh, greater engine efficiency, greater range, uh, some smaller aircraft flying longer longer range than was possible in the past. What What is your own uh, philosophy about that? And do you think that's something that you will look to tap into in the years ahead? And I'm thinking particularly of smaller long-range aircraft. We, we have uh, aircraft like the Airbus A321, LR and XLR aircraft, which are going to allow small numbers of seats to be put into markets, i.e. taking less risk, but to be operated very efficiently. I think that that's great. And it, give, it definitely gives airlines uh, gr- uh, greater flexibility, especially trying out uh, some of the starting off uh, some of the longer routes. Uh, it's, it's a great way to to build the route and then upgrade to bigger equipment. For Ronda, um our, our fleet consists of the A330, the 737 NGs, and um, then we have the smaller regional air, uh, aircrafts, the CRJ and the Q400s. 
we are looking at um, the rationalizing our fleets uh, to bring it down to three types. Uh, so we'll, we will be phasing out the regional aircraft down the road. Uh, we are looking at different options uh, to replace them. But we we are looking at keeping the, for, for the white body, we are looking at keeping the A330, uh, 737 probably transitioning to the to the maxes, possibly taking on um, uh, the Embraer, Embraer E2s uh, for, to replace the Q400 and the CRJs. But that's still a discussion in progress. Absolutely. I mean, it, it does seem to me that uh, thinking again of Africa with long distances, that we need to test out, uh, particularly within the continent, new routes without too much risk. There is now a much better opportunity in terms of the aircraft which are coming on stream to do that without you know, that, that classic risk of having too many seats and too much cost to do so. Absolutely. I mentioned I wanted to bring back your, your your technological background, Yvonne, from your earlier career and your academic studies, because it seems to me, and I, I admit I'm, I'm an old time, I'm a bit of a technological dinosaur. It takes me all my effort to put a new app on the telephone, uh, but it, I also do understand it's the way forward. And uh, what I see is uh, the young population in Africa is certainly very tech savvy. Africa's led the way in the use of technology for things like banking, for example, way ahead of uh, uh, other countries and, and continents. You must have a very uh, strong view, given your background, about how all this is going to shape up for the future and whether it's positive or whether there are risks. Uh, we talk a lot about AI these days. Give me, give me a bit of your vision, Yvonne, for how that will work in an airline context and and more broadly. I think the future is definitely in in automation. We we have such a young population, especially within the African continent, who, as you mentioned, are very very tech savvy. People do not want to go into the sales office or do uh, check in at the check in counter with the, somebody there and. Uh, the easier it is uh, for, for for people to to interact with the airline, the better. And the technology is really the way to go. AI, that's the future. The, from a from a customer experience, from a, uh, if we talk about the contact centers and and all that, why not through through AI? So I think it's it's going to be very exciting to see how um, aviation, which is such a um, has its own way of doing things for 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 the last I don't know how many years. Uh, moving it into the into the future will be very interesting to see, and being uh, making it accessible to this young population so that they consume it even even more. I think that, that that's exciting. I'm, I'm I'm really excited about it, and uh, looking forward to seeing what 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 it has in store for the future. And again, the other side of the coin about young population. I'm thinking about. Uh, Job opportunities in airlines and more generally, it's, it's not a risk that maybe some entry-level jobs disappear. I mean, I think my own airline career began as a, a telephone sales agent uh, a long way back. These days, you don't really need that too often because we all just do these things on our phone or a, a website. Will there be just will there be enough opportunities for this energetic young population to come into the workforce? I believe so. It might take up uh, some some jobs, some uh, very manual uh, jobs, but it opens up opportunities in in other areas as well. Uh, so I, I don't believe automation will completely eradicate some of these jobs. Yes, uh, some will have to be phased out, and that's <laughs> that's how how things work. Uh, but it'll open up a, another whole new area of opportunity for young people as well. 
And also, do you see a, a political will? Uh, and I know this is the point that the Archer is taking up. Is there enough political will throughout Africa in terms of overall education and training of the next generation? Because all I see, uh, and I speak to a number of uh, young people in the industry, uh, including uh, a number of uh, young Africans that I know, and, and there is, to me, a, a wealth of talent, a wealth of energy and enthusiasm, but people need uh, they need broad education and they need specific education and training opportunities. Is, is this something that uh, is going to get tackled politically? Is it something maybe that IATRA is able to push on uh, on a broader uh, base uh, for the continent of Africa? I, I think it, it has to come from a, from a political standpoint. Mm-hmm. I, I'll speak in terms of, uh, of Rwanda. We've just started an aviation academy and there's uh, further investment in terms of uh, expanding it even more to train aviation uh, specialists, whether it's pilots, engineers, dispatchers, etc. So there's a lot of investment being put into that. Uh, as I said, uh, for, for Rwanda specifically, uh, it's very clear that uh, aviation is being prioritized and all efforts are being made to make sure that that industry grows uh, and grows in a sustainable way. For us to achieve the level of penetration that's required for the African continent, we need to invest in educating our young people and moving them towards uh, this industry. Because otherwise, what's happening even now is we're competing with uh, all these uh, bigger airlines for pilots and for engineers. And it's, it's, it's very difficult. Uh, so we, mm-hmm. we, we need to invest in, uh, in growing our own talent. And that has to be done as a matter of priority. And also, not, not, not only generally educating the young people and bringing them into the aviation industry, but also bringing in women into this industry, which is another area that's, uh, that's been neglected for a very long time. It's, it'll be very difficult to achieve our goal in, uh, in terms of growing uh, this sector, in, uh, whether in Africa or uh, across the world, because this is a general issue. It's not only an African issue, and uh, IATA is also tackling this. But we have to be very deliberate in terms of bringing in women in aviation. And not just as cabin crew or uh, passenger handling agents, but uh, in all areas of of, of the company. So th- th- this has to be a deliberate effort if we are to achieve our goals. Well, you beat me to my next question with that one, Yvonne, oh. because that, that was <laughs> that was going to be next on my list. So it's, it's good that you raised it because I thought you would have strong views. I mean, you are one of a limited number. Uh, of women uh, leading an airline in the world, or indeed uh, senior players in in, in many positions uh, in, in the airline industry, but what I notice that uh, you know, if I look at Rwanda as a country, uh, and, and and please uh, educate me on this, when I looked, for example, politically, well over half, I think about sixty percent of uh, MPs in the Rwandan Parliament are women and have been since I think the last election back in twenty eighteen. You know, you've already had a successful career in IT as a, as a woman leader and now uh, in the airline industry. You're the chair of the Board of Governors of the IATA. How do we drive this forward? Uh, I mean, I was, I was thinking uh, another guest I had on, on the podcast series was uh, Gulitz Ozturk, who you undoubtedly know from IATA. And she made the point, well, I don't want to be known as a woman CEO. I just want to be known as a CEO. We don't talk about this male CEO. Uh, how do we push it forward? And how do we stop kind of tagging in this way? So we just think, oh, there's that excellent leader. There's this excellent person in the job, but we have a better balance. Well, I, I, I do agree with her. Uh, but I think the, uh, you, you've mentioned Rwanda. Uh, Rwanda has been 
has been very deliberate about it. It's actually uh, the representation of women in parliament is 61%. It was 64. It, it dropped slightly to 61%. But it's the highest, highest representation of women in parliament in the world. It's the same thing in terms of uh, the cabinet. The cabinet is over 50% women. In the private sector, we see the same thing. We have a lot of young female CEOs running the banks, running different companies uh, within within the country. But it, it's been done very deliberately, uh, recognizing that we do need women to participate uh, in the growth of the economy. So we need to make sure that they're present in the boardroom, in, in the corporate offices. So... It's the same thing in aviation. We we need to be deliberate about it. I think what I uh, what IATA has done with twenty five by twenty five is is really good in terms of uh, really shed, uh, putting a spotlight on on this issue and getting uh, people to recognize that there's a problem and that this problem needs to be to to be resolved. But we need to move to the next level as well, where we say in practical terms how we, how exactly are we doing it. Is it an issue of for every position that comes about, we 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 won't uh, proceed with the with the recruitment unless we have X number of women who've applied and we interview X number of women. It it has to get to that level of uh, of being deliberate. So I, I hope that's what we're going to see. Um, and it, uh, it, it's great that um, the first female chair of uh, the Board of Governors, but this is after 80 years of the existence of uh, <laughs> It's taken time. <laughs> it's taken this long. This should not be the case. Uh, I, I hope we won't have to wait another 80 years for, for the next uh, the next female. This, this should be the norm, not the exception to the rule. So for me, I, I would say we, we really have to be deliberate about it. You mentioned the IATA 25 by 25 initiative, Yvonne. Just to be clear for any listener who's not familiar, that's an initiative sponsored by IATA to ensure that there are at least 25% uh, women in positions across airline businesses by 2025. And some airlines have reached that target and surpassed it already. But I was wondering uh, if in maybe a number of African countries keeping the focus on Africa, there is a more traditional approach. And there is this kind of inbuilt feeling that uh, uh, men are going to be the leaders and women are going to be the supporters uh, and women should, shouldn't should even aspire to the kind of career that you're having yourself. I guess there's a lot of work to do on that throughout the continent in, in countries that are less uh, forward-looking and deliberate than Rwanda. Again, it's not, it's not only uh, the African continent, it's mm-hmm. across the world. We see this, yeah. <laughs> this very much across the world. But we, we need to move beyond uh, the, the, the cultural, uh, w- what was done in the past, that the, women, the woman has to stay at home, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, one, one thing I, I wanted to mention as well is, yes, it's very good to bring in women into this position, but we, uh, once they're in there, in addition to being deliberate in terms of bringing them in, we also have to be deliberate in terms of creating an environment that's conducive for them to succeed in in uh, this industry as well. Because uh, if that's not done, uh, we'll just see women coming in and out immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we need to look at it holistically. How do we bring women in? How do we keep them in? And how do we um, enable them to grow within within the industry? Whether it's something as basic as having a mother's room where women who've just given uh, birth can uh, and are not able to go home to breast- breastfeed have somewhere they can pump and store <laughs> uh, breast milk for their kids or daycare or flexible hours for women um, who have small kids. 
whatever it takes uh, really to help women succeed in, in in the job that they do not 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 in the sense that they they need to get preferential treatment but uh, we need to even the playing field uh, so we, we need to see how um, to make it uh, possible for them to succeed in the position that we give them and you mentioned you know, certain positions uh, that the industry is dependent on, like uh, pilots, like uh, engineers. And I alluded in my introduction about supply chain challenges now. A lot of people left the industry through COVID. A lot of experienced people have taken early retirement. So if we if we switch off more or less half the population, you know, we're, we're really putting ourselves in a handicapped position. Yeah. Absolutely. There's no there's no way the industry can develop if we neglect 50% of the population. Mm-hmm. That just does not make sense, honestly. Yeah. So it is a serious issue that we need to tackle. Otherwise, down the road, uh, we will run into a lot of challenges. I guess also it starts at home because you know you you all of us I guess grew up at times which were different to today about what was expected by parents of their children, and you know I you know I know I was mad on aeroplanes from the earliest age, but you know I, I didn't know any little girls at the time were mad on aeroplanes, but you know why not? I mean now I know you know a, num- a good number of women in the industry have the same obsession as me. Uh, about yeah. aviation uh but it, it doesn't necessarily follow that's the case with these kind of definitions of who does what yeah you're, you're absolutely right not not only at home yes it starts at home but also from uh once, Schooling, uh, education. Yeah, exactly. once the kids go to school uh it's the the whole chain uh, and we, we need to encourage uh, the young girls there's this whole mentality that uh, girls are not good in science and can't do this and can't do that we, we need to break down all, all those uh, preconceptions about uh, girls and women and another big topic Yvonne which uh, I'm interested to get your views on is of course for one which you're addressing anyway through your work in the art of sustainability you know the industry is really in the dock about its contribution to uh, uh, emissions and the challenge uh, that we face as a planet for the future. But I just wonder if, again, there's a kind of a dichotomy. I'm, I'm sitting here in Europe and hearing almost by the day about politicians wanting to cut down airports. You know, uh, as we're talking, there's lots of discussion about Amsterdam Airport, which for as long as I remember, you know, has been a, a major European airport. The, the Netherlands, the small populations relied on trade through centuries, whether it was boats in the past or planes now. Yet, but unbelievably for me, talking about that being cut down. Yet we, we've talked already today about the, the major opportunities and the necessity for development in Africa uh, of having a, a thriving aviation industry. Do you see that we're going to develop it like a two-speed world or a dichotomy between what you could say the old world that Europe is thinking and doing, or maybe the US, and the rest of the world, which is getting on and grabbing aviation uh, and, and making the most of it as an economic catalyst? Yeah. Well, uh, Europe and the US ha- has had such a head start in terms of uh, developing the aviation sector. I think the developed uh, world, including Africa, deserves uh, the same opportunity. We, we have mentioned how underserved the continent is, but we also have the opportunity to really grow sustainably. Uh, but again, 
uh, we, we know the best way to do it is through the use of SAF, but we can't find SAF <laughs> and the little that's there is, is too expensive. So I, I think it's uh, the same way Africa and a lot of other developed and India and a lot, a lot of other countries leapfrogged, uh, whether it's through telecoms or banking or, or whatever, we, 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 we can do the same in terms of uh, still growing uh, the industry and connecting countries, but doing it sustainably. We need we definitely need more incentives in terms of SAF production within within the continent so that we can find enough of it and find it at an affordable rate to allow uh, for this growth. But saying that, you know, uh, airlines uh, are contributing to uh, global warming and have to cut down, uh, how do we cut down what what is already so low, uh, especially for us? We, we definitely need to grow, uh, but we have the opportunity to grow sustainably. I mean, again, it seems like a time of change because I, I know I've commented to colleagues recently. Well, you know, Europe could just close aviation down completely. You know, uh, the way we're hearing messages from some uh, politicians here, and the rest of the world will just carry on. We're, we're hearing about enormous aircraft orders from, as you mentioned, India, China, Saudi Arabia. I mean, hundreds of new aircraft being ordered. We talked a bit about the Gulf carriers and the way they've developed, and that they're linking not only their regions but many other parts of the world, including Africa. I personally don't see a way economically in the 21st century for large parts of the world without aviation. So Europe could shut up shop and go home, but it seems to me the rest of the world has to carry on. But as you said, do it in a way that is sustainable. And we, we don't have much of an option because if you look at the African continent, uh, yes, the, we, we do have uh, the road network, but they're not that great. We have, uh, for a lot of countries, non-existent uh, railway network. So really the only way to connect the different countries is by air. So if, if Europe does decide to shut down, then but th- that's also um, going to be a challenge because what's going to happen to trade with other, other continents, what's going to happen uh, to exports and uh, fresh produce. And it, it's, it's, it's a difficult dilemma, I, I must say. But for, for the rest of the, the continents, we, have to, we, we, we urgently need to expand and uh, connect our countries. And as you say, that need for mobility, uh, there's long distances in Africa. There couldn't be a better example of where, where aviation is the, the only way for people to move around in a meaningful way. We're not going to go on uh, trekking expeditions with uh, horses and camels like, as in previous no. centuries. Uh, it just, it's just not a, a realistic proposition. No, absolutely not. Just as we, we move towards the, the, the close, Yvonne, we've covered a number of, of issues related to the industry and how it might shape up and how that might affect you. But just more broadly, if we look at uh, you know, political challenges, economic shocks and, and, and risk, I mean, do you see in this 21st century, could this be the, could this be the century of, of Africa? You know, if we look through the history books, we see different spheres of influence and power through previous centuries. And, and Africa, to me, it seems like, a, I would call it a sleeping giant, you know, as we've discussed, there's so much potential there. Could there be a shift based on some things we're saying where we see an acceleration in the relative importance of Africa, and it really does start to punch not just at its weight, but, uh, but, but above its weight? Yeah. No, uh, absolutely. Again, the, the potential is huge huge yes we have the, we have uh, several challenges 
But I, I strongly believe if we can overcome uh, and uh, do away with some of these uh, challenges, whether it's the cost of operations, uh, whether it's uh, the, the visas which are restricting movements between countries, the issue of skilled labor, all those things we, we've discussed, the, the opportunity is huge. And we have such, again, we have such a young population. So we have a, an indefinite uh, pipeline of, uh, of, in terms of having uh, a market uh, for, for, for this industry. So um, I, I think the future is very bright uh, for, for, for Africa. We need to address definitely some of these challenges and then get ready to really take off. And do you think, uh, you know, if we look at Africa from a point of view of a link with Europe in the past, as you said, we still have uh, trade as an absolutely important element today, but the historical linkages coming from uh, colonialism, do you think we might see a, a shift that Africa will turn far more wars to, to, to Asia? Uh, than has been the case in the past. I mean, obviously, Asian economies are also growing. We know there's been a lot of Chinese investment across the continent of Africa, for example. Might that be a kind of a new alignment we see in the decades ahead? Well, I, I think um, we need to look at it from the perspective of what works for the different countries. Uh, I think uh, the different African, we're talking about 54 African countries. So, mm -hmm. Uh, the different countries would have to evaluate uh, what benefits they get from the different, uh, whether it's from Europe or from Asia, and do what's best for the country. Work with all all other all of them or some of them. It, it's really up to what the country wants and who will help them get to that uh, in in the best way possible. And we we touched uh, in my opening comments on the fact the industry is now coming out strongly from the pandemic, and obviously that was uh, we hope uh, you know a once in a lifetime experience, uh, and that we don't have to repeat it. But do you think there are lessons to be learned? Uh, Rwanda is a country which uh, not only relied before the pandemic on tourism, but is looking to develop that strongly. And you, you were hit, as were all countries when none of us were travelling. Uh, what's your perspective on this uh, as we put it behind us? I think um, just speaking from the Rwandan perspective, a lot was learned uh, about the uh, about the the pandemic. I think number one in terms of tackling it head on and uh, limiting exposure as quickly as possible, the importance of uh, working together. It's uh, uh, the different entities. Uh, I, I can speak about the fact that we held uh, regular meetings, almost daily meetings, with all the different stakeholders: the the aviation industry, the Ministry of Health, the, the Ministry of Commerce. The all everybody was on board in terms of tackling this issue. So I, I I believe yes Rwanda was hit hard uh, but we we've managed to recover very quickly because we we tackled it uh, uh, right from the beginning shut down everything which was which had a huge impact on 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 the airline of course where we were operating just cargo flights and uh, repatriation flights but then opened up progressively uh, even from from a tourism perspective we we opened up for tourism much much earlier. Uh, but with really strong measures in place, uh, health and safety measures in place, and now the, uh, both the airline and uh, the tourism industry has has really bounced back from the pandemic. Um, so I, I think a key lesson is uh, is also the fact that aviation doesn't stand alone. Uh, we we have to work very closely, um, and the government has to has to work closely with all the different stakeholders during a crisis like this. It, it, it shouldn't just be um, the government saying, oh, we're doing this and doing this and without evaluating all the different aspects and uh, the impact of, of some of those decisions. Well, Yvonne, I think uh, 
sadly, our time time is up for this particular podcast. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And I, I think so many inspirational things you've said, both about uh, the development of Rwanda as a country, the intimate and integral role of Rwanda as part of that progress, the deliberate action to ensure that women play their active role at all levels of uh, society and business, including yourself leading this this airline, and some words of optimism about the future in terms of what we can do when we we really can collaborate together. So, Yvonne, it's honestly been a, a real pleasure talking with you today. Thank you very much for your time and for sharing your views. So, Yvonne Mikolo, CEO of Rwanda, many thanks for your time today. Thank you so much, John. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Thanks to you for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed hearing about the trajectory of Rwanda. I'll be back soon with our next Our Future Skies episode in partnership with AIG. But for now, from me, John Strickland, goodbye. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast series are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of American International Group, Inc. or its subsidiaries or affiliates, AIG. Any content provided by our speakers are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. AIG makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, or validity of any information provided during this podcast series, and will not be liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its use.